inside the Star Trek Next Generation writer's room. We should have more salsa at these meetings. It's just fun to say. Salsa. <laughs> hey, what if Data orders salsa from the replicator and falls in love with it, right? He starts giving salsa out as gifts to all the crew, and they're like, Okay, enough already, Data. You don't need to give us all this salsa. It's piling up. The engines aren't working anymore. We should have an episode like that. Sadly, Larry David was never hired as staff writer on Star Trek. <laughs> Welcome to Reengage, where we watch every episode of the sci-fi series Star Trek The Next Generation and re-engage with the show from the perspective of adult storytellers instead of the Gen X kids we were when it first aired. Today we're talking about the 11th episode of Season 4, Data's Day, and I'm excited to welcome my fellow cultural bridge officers to discuss this episode that clearly inspired the famous sitcom from the 90s. Commander Kate Yeager, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I was impressed with your uh, commitment to that bit. You had you had uh, little tortilla chips that you were chewing on. That was that was very impressive. Thank you, thank you, uh, Eric Curry. What's happening? Well, here I am in Vienna, Austria. Hello, everyone. I'm really excited to talk to y'all. It's one of my favorite episodes. Are there any nuns running around there? <laughs> I have seen no nuns. None nuns. None nuns. Well, that's just nonsense. <laughs> I understand there is a sound of music here. The hills are alive. <laughs> Jimmy G, how are you doing? Uh, I'm excited to talk about Data's Day. And what a day it was. <laughs> As are was we all. Day. It is a good day. It's a very funny episode. I can't wait to crack it open, as we say. Uh, again, it is the... Season 4, episode 11, that is Stardate 44390.1. In our world, it was first broadcast on January 7th, 1991. Yes, this is the first Star Trek Next Generation episode of 1991. There was a lot going on in the world, as there always is. On January 1st, Iraq rejected a peace proposal from Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak. So he's like, nah, I don't want to have peace with Egypt or anybody. Not going to work. January 7th, Saddam Hussein prepared his troops for what he says is going to be a long, violent war against the U.S. That's going to come very soon. Uh, but on to uh, more benign baseball news. Everyone more wants to get into that. <laughs> on January 8th, the day after this aired... Gaylord Perry, Ferguson Jenkins, and Rod Carew were all elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. I love the fact uh, that Gaylord was a real first name. Uh, little it Lord Fauntleroy, yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and little uh, caveat to that, January 8th, Rod Carew was the 22nd player elected on the first try uh, to the Hall of Fame, which is always great. Nice. And then the day after, uh, January 9th, Baseball officially banned Pete Rose from ever being elected to the Hall of Fame for all the controversies we talked about in the first three seasons of this show. <laughs> Commissioner Bart Giamatti, known now as the father of his son. <laughs> <laughs> and the picture that's punched in sideways. I always remember that little detail. Uh, oh, right. It's a, it's, a, it's a picture of the commissioner of baseball. Kate, <laughs> speaking of uh, Paul Giamatti and all of his wonderful things, what was going on in entertainment? I know he probably wasn't in anything in 1990. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, Madonna was asking us to justify her love, number one Ooh. on the billboard, wanting, needing, waiting 
for you <laughs> to justify my love, my love. And now, of course, Madonna going on her uh, getting ready to do a world tour, uh, which I am fascinated by because she's spanned the decades. Uh, but I don't we- go to concerts anymore because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> and the COVID. A lot of my cast has bought tickets to her tour in Paris because apparently we have a day off while she's performing. Oh, wow. That is super cool. Was this also the time period, Kate, where there was like that Justify My Love video? Like it was a big premiere oh. on MTV and there was like that whole like 10 minute intro that was all. Yes, like doing absolutely. It. And then the, and then this video like caused much controversy um, only to be eclipsed later by other controversy that she had. She, you know, uh, went from video to video. Um, I don't think this one had quite the controversy of the um her fucking black Jesus um, video. (laughs) But it definitely still raised some eyebrows. But pearls were clutched nonetheless. Yes, nonetheless. Uh, Home Alone remained number one in this new year. It's eighth consecutive weekend at the top of the charts. I think so. And on the television front, the first TV sets to have built-in closed captioning display were introduced in the United States. So it took us all the way until 1991 to have closed captioning built into televisions. And that's what was happening in pop culture. And now that's like the preferred way of viewing for so many people at this point, myself included. Well, especially BBC shows. You need some help with some of those, you know. (laughs) Anything where there's a heavy accent, too. I'm just like, I'd rather just read it. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Even if it is like a sci-fi made up accent, it still is necessary. (laughs) Jimmy, there's a lot of continuity in this episode, right? Uh, yeah, tons. Lots of stuff from the Nemesic Files. Uh, it's the first ever Day in the Life episode in the Trek-verse. Uh, it was first pitched uh, for season three, but uh, didn't make it until season four. Data was the one they ultimately settled on uh, for no other reason than he's the only one who's up 24-7. So they felt that uh, they could follow a day a lot easier. Um, That's a great reason. That's yeah. neat. Um, in our dance scene, uh, we all know that Brent Spiner is an amazing tap dancer. He and Gates McFadden actually uh, came up with all the dialogue in this scene, which was later approved by the writers. They didn't ask for anything to be changed. And they choreographed the dance scene um, and did all the rehearsing. But Spiner uh, was modest enough to allow the double to actually do the dancing when it came to shooting <laughs> so that the, the continuity could be there. Picard's wedding remarks are actually word for word the exact same words Kirk used um, in the episode Balance of Terror way mm-hmm. back in the day. Wow. Also mentioned in TOS in this episode was the uh, Moraski Quasar. In TOS, this was uh, referred to as uh, Moraski 312. So that was just one of our bits of continuity. Um, and this is our first look at a Bolian barber. That's the blue guy uh, who has to bend over backwards to snip some of Jordy's hair in the barbershop. <laughs> um, and the Arboretum, which has been mentioned many times as uh, the place to go uh, do some crushing. Um, it actually <laughs> makes its first on-screen appearance in this episode. We've never been in the Arboretum before. Uh, and one of my favorite bits... We get to see uh, the Ambassador-class ship. This is the ship that Tapel is delivered in. This is actually the same design as the Enterprise-C. 
Um, so it's a oh. little, a, a shorter body, a little more um, elongated. Uh, 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 but we will see this ship. Well, we, we've heard it referred to a couple times before. We will see it at least three or four more times coming up in the next few seasons. Uh, in the canon, if you recall, this is the first ship that Barkley was assigned to after graduating from Starfleet. And from Apocrypha in the book Reunion, um, this ship is credited as Riker's very first assignment right out of Starfleet. Lots mm. of lore around um, uh, around um, the Zukov, which is the name of that ship. Uh, and this episode in particular is cited as one of the most trivia-based episodes uh, in the TNG universe because of all kinds of things that it references throughout. And that's all I have from the Invictus Pilot. <laughs> Excellent. I love all that. There's certainly more to uh, respond to as we go through the episode. But before we do, Eric... There is uh, some guest stars in this and some that will be Holy shit. I'm going to try and go nice and quick. Uh, we'll start with Shelley Desai, who played Vassal the Barber that Jimmy was just talking about. He's still working. He's got things like Raven's Home and Baskets recently. Archer, Blart Cop 2, uh, <laughs> NYPD Blue, Curb, Barbed Wire, a lot of cabbies. This being the industry we have and him being initially born in Bombay. That's so shitty, but he's so good at it. Uh, Thelma and Louise, the A-Team, just a fantastic, incredible career still going check him out. Then we have Alan Scarf as Admiral Mendek. Started way back in the 60s with One Life to Live. Kept it up. Just saw him in Murder by Phone, which is also called The Bells, which is a TV uh, horror movie from the 70s, which I kind of recommend. Tons of genre stuff like Ray Bradbury Theater, Iron Eagle 2, Alien Nation, Columbo, MacGyver, NYPD Blue, Stargate, Babylon 5 to round out a good career uh, right before uh, he passed on. Next, we had Sierra Peshur as Tapel, but not. Uh, great mm -hmm. careers, of course, like all of these had, starting with Three Women, a great Robert Altman picture, one of my favorite Shelley uh, Duvalls. Uh, through a fun moment in What Women Want towards the end of uh, her days of performing. Interesting stuff in the middle, like California, that Pitt and Juliet Lewis joint. Quantum Leap, Falcon Crest, much respect, really fun career. April Grace as Transporter Tech Hubble. We didn't give her her due uh, when we saw her a little while ago. She did a few TNG episodes like this one and uh, uh, showed up again in Deep Space Nine as the same Transporter Tech. Then has done hundreds and hundreds of great appearances since then, including Admiral Whitley in Picard recently. Other recent stuff like The Good Doctor. She's a psychiatrist in Arkham in Joker. Lots of doctors, detectives, and other authorities. Had great run as B in Lost at the end of season two. And a regular in The Lost Room. One of my favorites uh, from the sci-fi channel. Tons of stuff. Another incredible career. But we round it out with the first appearance of Keiko Ishikawa. Yeah. To be known further as Keiko O'Brien. The international superstar Rosalind Chow. It's wonderful that we get to talk about her moving forward. She's currently working on the three-body problem, so she's doing just fine. Uh, recent things include Better Things, the TV show, six episodes there, and The First Lady. Uh, she's been in so many things. Uh, most recent huge one was, of course, Mulan's mother, Lee, in the live-action Mulan recently. Um, she has showed up in just about all of your favorite things, including... 
uh, Tragedy Girls, Blackish, The Cast. You go all the way down. The OA, if you watched that, she showed up with a terrific feature there. Uh, she started out as a journalism major and got back into acting after a childhood spent on stage and in TV shows. She was cast pretty quickly after college as Soon Lee Han, a recent refugee from the war zone who meets and marries Klinger at the last episode of MASH and then was oh. a series co-star on After MASH. Uh, she appeared right after that in Spider-Man The Dragon's Challenge, which just put a few of the episodes of that live-action late 70s Spider-Man TV show together and released them as feature films. Uh, there were a few of those. Fascinating. We just don't have time to cover all of it, so I'm certain the next time we see uh, Keiko will go through more of her incredible career. But I want to move forward with the episode because I think we'll have a lot to talk about. Excellent. Yeah, this is a important episode for all the reasons mentioned, all these characters and all of the references to previous Trek lore and future Trek lore. In fact, that's how it begins with a reference to Data's trial in A Measure of a Man and Commander Bruce Maddox. You remember, we, we kind of thought of him as a villain, but he's saying, yeah, I continue your research. I can help out. I can let you know more about what is going on. And so that is the framing device for this entire Date in the Life episode of Notes to Commander Maddox. I would be frustrated if I were the actor who played Maddox, that I created this character, and then they brought him back without giving him any lines. <laughs> so they <laughs> did not have to pay you. him at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to send you letters that you don't get to read and or interact with ever. Yeah. Oof. Awful. But it is a great <laughs> rapper because it gives us a reason for why Data has this voiceover going throughout and, and talking through his personal relationships and his his trials and tribulations with them. And it's so, so interesting to have this like kind of androids view of humans uh, be the first person kind of narrative that's going on here. What did you guys think about about this this opening? Well, there's just this moment that happens right at the very beginning um, you know, where we, we've got this uh, framing device that we know we'll have and we start on the bridge and I thought there was something wrong with my television. I spent the first few moments um, trying to find my remote because the lights were dimmed for the night watch. And then that became my obsession for the entire episode. The fact that the lights on the Enterprise are operated on one dimmer switch and when it goes to night mode, everybody goes to... Because shouldn't the people on the bridge be in full light? Because don't they have to stay awake and shit? I don't understand the concept <laughs> of the night watch. And it became my obsession for the entire episode, as I said. Um, so uh, I will not be talking again until the end of the episode <laughs> when we go back to night watch. <laughs> Now I wanted to, like a like a, a night in the life. Like what happens on the night watch? Like that should be like a lower decks episode if it isn't already. Well, what happens is a lot of people bumping into things because the goddamn lights are too low. <laughs> Which is no, comedy. I want to see that episode. So many more reports to make then too. Right. <laughs> I was struck kind of immediately on trying to figure out how we could hear Data's thoughts, and then clearly it's not thoughts. It's it's his. Uh, journal that he's writing one way or another, you know, for other people to eventually uh, consume because he speaks in uh, whatever noise uh, the firing of servos makes. Um, 
But that's where I spent the whole rest of the episode, Kate. You you were on <laughs> night shift, and I was on, why do we hear like this first-person narrative? He thinks so much faster than that. <laughs> oh, I see. You think he should be like the binars, like his his inner voiceover yeah. is actually just... <laughs> but Maddox wouldn't understand that. There you go. Oh, that's right. It's yeah. to Maddox. Poor actor. So as part of the report here, he gives this like a uh, uh, list of all these things that are going to come up during the episode, which I kind of really love too. like he's like, oh, there's, you know, these many birthdays. It's the it's the Feast of Diwali uh, as well. The Festival of Lights in the Hindu world. So that's actually the first mention of a real uh, religion uh, in Star Trek ever. And people have been used that to try to date back when the Enterprise uh, first is commissioned. Um, as well as there's a pregnancy uh, and in the impending arrival of Tapel, the ambassador. Uh, so I just love that as like, that's the handover that you give to Riker. It's like, yeah, there's this pregnancy going on. <laughs> it's somebody's birthday. You got to deal with all that now, Riker. I like this episode uh, in that it engages in a lot of trust in the audience because it starts in the middle where Riker is like, hey, I thought I would give the father of the bride the day off. And that's the first time we've ever heard about that information. There's no lead up. There's no setup. It just trusts us to have enough like, okay, I'm going to figure this out later. This is like the worst kind of episode to watch with your mother-in-law who would be like, who's getting married? You know, like, well, if we watch, we'll find out. Uh, But I love the way it trusts us. And again, anytime something starts in the middle, I'm for it. Right. It's good writing that way. Go ahead, Jimmy. Uh, do you think that when Data was giving the ship report, as soon as he mentioned the Wara's pregnancy, that a little tinge went through Riker and he wondered, <laughs> is she? Did I? Is it mine? I don't know. Well, we do see him putting the moves pretty heavy on right. the, uh, the tactical the person at yes. uh, the con. For sure. Uh, so then, uh, we go into data leaving this area and going to check in with, uh, Keiko on what is going on in the Arboretum. This is the first time we see her and the Arboretum, as we've said, and, uh, she doesn't want to go through the wedding. We find out that she's getting married and then she's immediately like, Mm-mm, nope, not going to do it. I don't want to marry Miles O'Brien. And I don't know if you had the same thought, but I was like, why don't you want to marry O'Brien? He's so great. <laughs> yeah. Well, certainly don't take his last name. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> It's awkward to say Keiko O'Brien, but it's fun now that I say it out loud. <laughs> oh, whoa, was a couple fun syllables. And that was the end. <laughs> yes, they are. Those are fun. almost as fun as salsa. Um, I like the fact that, yes, I like the fact that, again, this is information that we didn't have before where she says, you go talk to him because you're the one that introduced us. And it just gave me this episode gives us that scope of right there are so many things that happen on this ship that we never see uh yeah and just trusting like oh this is now canon <laughs> you introduce these two people but it'll, it'll like i think it's good maybe that it didn't happen in season three and that it waited till season four because again you have a trusting audience who is willing to go with you sort of on that journey and trust little morsels that you get along the way and we'll get that even more when the ambassador shows up um right where it's like there's just lots of ambiguity in this episode yeah i wish they'd used a lot of these techniques in season one and let us 
build mm. the the tapestry of this of, of these ship you know rather than what it felt like in the first few episodes it was like this is this person and this is their story backstory and you're gonna get it all in this episode that's about their backstory speaking of season one one of the things i forgot to mention about rosalind chow is that she was on the short list to play tasha yar oh wow really yeah that uh, is interesting that came out in a in a book not too long ago they they published like a the huh. actual physical photo of the list wow what a different uh and amazing alternate universe that would have been <laughs> yes i don't think tasha yara would have been written off then right right might not have right there's a good chance yeah. that's what i'm saying in any case kaiko is not going to go through with it ask data to tell <laughs> the groom to be we go to 10 Ford and we see a wedding being planned. It is actually pretty cool to see it being transformed. And uh, I love the delivery that Brent Spiner does as Data here being like, by all logical accounts, you should be happy that your bride-to-be is making this decision because it will make her happy. And he, O'Brien, just fumes and storms off. Uh, I don't know, says childish and sensitive, uh, uh, not good adjectives about your bride-to-be. Oh, the Irish and their fiery that, tempers. Yes. <laughs> Stereotypes again. They're getting married in a bar, for Christ's sake. Um, <laughs> Jordy kind of takes it to Data a little bit here. Uh, I guess Jordy, Data can't have his feelings hurt, but I would have been hurt if Jordy was like, you know, leave the bad news to me next time. Oh, it had to be said, though. I mean, yeah. You're the smartest <laughs> thing on the ship. Like Your algorithm should have known that delivering this kind of news, <laughs> he should have known. Uh, in any case, that's exactly what uh, Data concludes. Is like, my program needs some adjustments, Commander Maddox, because clearly all this algorithmic, uh, you know, trying to figure out and predict human emotion is wrong. Then we roll credits, and we get the information about uh, the birthdays, the Festival of Life, the two chess tournaments, and four promotions. And uh, yeah, that's just an ordinary day in the life here on the Enterprise. I like the fact that they mentioned there were um, a certain amount of school plays that were happening, yes. too. That made me very happy uh, to imagine just tiny little children doing Death of a Salesman, like, somewhere. <laughs> In the original Klingon, of course. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it is a secondary school play, so that's high school, right? That's That would be like a, the high school drama kids are being mentioned right? for the first time in Star Trek. So shout out to theater kids. And they've just lost Wesley, you know, as the head of the club. So it's just... <laughs> Thespian club president. <laughs> uh, we see Hubble uh, transporting Ambassador Tapel aboard. And uh, she has a very cool red skin cap thing on her head that, with her ears poking out, very accentuating the fact that she is a Vulcan. And uh, she's very charming, as Riker says. <laughs> Says right away, I want to be taken away to the captain, and there's no pleasantries involved. They go to the captain uh, in the ready room. There is before that though. There is the really great scene in the turbo lift where we hear Data's voiceover, and there's no dialogue between the Vulcan and the android. <laughs> Did you guys want to note that at all? Because it, it it seemed striking to me that they were like eyeing, or Data's like eyeing her. And she's just stone-faced the whole time. I don't even think it occurred to me, but now I'm watching it in my head and laughing my ass off. <laughs> this is a funny episode. It really is. Captain Picard welcomes Ambassador, introduces Riker, and she's like, you may leave now. And 
the GTFO. And that's where Riker says under his breath, charming woman. And then uh, we get an explanation of sarcasm from Data. <laughs> I mean, you got to really lower your voice when talking about a woman with ears that big, though. Like, <laughs> you wanted her to know. Some Vulcans have empathic abilities, too, like, like Troy, right? No, Come they on. just hear really well. <laughs> her ears are fake anyway. It doesn't matter. Anyway, we'll get to that later. And then we go to the barbershop. It is uh, not Cedric the Entertainer, but it is the uh, uh, actor <laughs> that you mentioned uh, before. I loved this back and forth between LaForge and, and him about uh, his haircut and it not working for him. And he's a barber. He's not a miracle worker. He can't make him look good. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that as well as Data's uh, response to that. That's right, you lunkhead. <laughs> no, just did anyone notice in the background that they changed the woman's hair color twice? I had to rewind. It freaked me right the fuck out. They take a little like uh, iron thing and they're like, new, 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 and it went to brown and then they went up, new, 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 and it went to auburn. And I was like, 1991, <laughs> you get yours. <laughs> It, I didn't notice the hair color change. I noticed the motion. I was like, oh, they must be doing something with it. For whatever reason, my TV didn't show up with the color thing. But I love that Data has a look behind him where he's like, what is that going on behind him? It's so good. He tries to say lunkhead. So if you're gonna if you're gonna insult your friend, maybe just use like an updated, you know, non 1950s insult, like not out of Archie's comment. No, lunkhead's pretty strong. <laughs> All right, well, I'm reserving the right to call you a lunkhead later on in this episode. <laughs> Please. I would be honored, Greg. <laughs> I just love this scene. It's a great late day in the life bit. And then we get to, uh, first, we talk to Worf. To Worf, yeah. Yes. Worf is in this a new area, which is called the Replicating yes. Center. The Replicating Center. Where he's going through yeah. uh, wedding catalogs from <laughs> the 24th century. <laughs> And we realize he has a proclivity for glass animals. Ooh, yeah. They yeah, spent yeah. some money on this episode because uh, for like things in the background, right? Like the hair changing color. And in the background, there's a little kid who gets like a toy rabbit. And I was like, oh, it's like Build-A-Bear, but without the fun. Uh, and <laughs> like, but like they, they put a lot of sort of extra thought into the background even of this background episode. Oh, it's so fucking meta. It is. Yeah. I noticed that too, Kate, where I was like, oh yeah, well, you know, having children now when they're like, I want this thing. I want this thing. And they're like, well, we'll take you to the replicator if you're good. And you, you, <laughs> right. you can get your teddy bear. Like they had all this storytelling that was just visual and that wasn't even integral to the scene, which I, which I loved. Um, I also just love that Worf has this disdain for human weddings. Oh. <laughs> so, it's good. so good. When he says no, it's not even like, it's it's aggressive. It's like, no. how dare you think I would ever have been involved in anything like this? It's truly fantastic. There's a lot of dancing and crying. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And it uh, doesn't get any info from there. But he does, in fact, then go talk to Dr. Beverly Crusher. Uh, in, in the voiceover, he says that even though he does not need her services uh, as a medical professional, he has learned a lot on how to interact with humans based on her bedside manner, which I thought was a was a really cool way to look at how Data and Dr. Crusher could interact. But he wants to learn how to dance. 
And this was the one thing where I was like, oh, I have the knowledge of Gates McFadden being a choreographer. Uh, and finally she gets to use this. But I love the line where she's like, I don't want to be known as the dancing doctor again. <laughs> <laughs> so much storytelling there. See, background. Yeah. And then she gets all flushed with excitement thinking about dancing. It's just so sweet. This whole episode is structured very similarly to uh, to how improv works, which I think is why I like it in that in that, you know, he's talking to Worf and Worf mentions dancing and then he goes, hmm, dancing. Who knows about dancing? Beverly. And it gives him the opportunity. There's a there's a game called Keywords where you're playing and, and as soon as you hear a word, it bounces you off into a new scene. But I love the fact that it's sort of this... Um, uh, what do you call it? String of uh, consciousness, you know, as he's processing through his day, it makes him think of somebody new. I just think this is yeah. so smartly packaged. It feels like naturalistic. Like that's how a, a thought process right. would go. And you can actually map it. You're totally right there. Um, and they agree to get some dance lessons later on. We'll get back to that. Um, but before we do, uh, we have the scene on the bridge where captain picard says we have to make change course Tapel says we have to go to into the neutral zone uh, between the romulans and the federation and i read that this through line of Tapel and the romulans was added after the pitch for the day in the life uh as as being a good idea but many of the writers said there needed to be attention there needed to be some type of 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 skeleton holding the drama of the episode together and i do think it's better for it um uh, but this is the introduction to hmm, something might not be quite routine about this day and data and this is i, I want to hear all your thoughts on this because data gets this information and he's up at the console and he starts to tap his finger nervously as he's saying i can't feel nervousness what did you think about that? What did that mean as far as your performance goes? Did you think that meant that he was actually nervous and was exhibiting the things as according to his algorithm of human programming? Or, you know, was he just imitating it? Was he not actually nervous? Like, what, what, what do you guys think? Ooh, that goes into the heart of who Data is, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've I've gone to the point now where I think anything we notice like that, there's just a subroutine he's working on to try and get there. So he's he's fidgeting that way while he talks about nervousness because he's written the subroutines to go through the physicalities he's observed, Ooh. and he like does you know the various mimic mimicry of breathing that he that he notices and things like that every but he doesn't feel it feel it I, so i mean i i always put that he's trying so hard that he's come up with these subroutines of subroutines and eventually that's how you become human hmm. Hmm. yeah i didn't think about it in that way but the only thing that makes me pause about that is that he seems surprised at the fact that he is tapping his finger so he's surprised that his that his subroutine is was so successful <laughs> Sure, at the end of it, you you erase any knowledge of having written it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll take it. All right, we got a commercial break there, which they'd use a couple of times throughout this episode where the commercial breaks are usually the, the dramaticness of this Romulan subplot going throughout here. Um, hmm. He is in the ready room and he gives his information to Picard and T'Pel 
uh, about how this is a dangerous move. Picard seems like he wanted to get this information to Tapel and for Tapel to change course. She says, nope, not going to do it. We're going as planned. And uh, Picard notes that it is Starfleet Command who has given him this order. So he cannot go against what the ambassador is saying. There's a fun job as an actor that you have when you are not allowed to say very much. But what you have to convey is power and what you have to convey is strength of conviction. Because there's this moment where Picard says, I really wish you would let me send you with an escort. And we still don't know what's happening. We still don't know what they're talking about. And all she does is give him a look and it like shuts down the conversation. And it's just such an interest, like you're acting, you have to act through the ears, through the you know, head thing that's going and through all the prosthetics and still convey a lot of ideas silently. I just think that's a, we'll just give a little kudos there. As well as the kudos of writing in this moment too, because it's a little bit of a red herring or a misdirect because I thought she was saying, don't talk anymore about this mission in front of data. Right. 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 And so I was like, okay, I'm going to put that piece of information. They don't even trust anybody but Picard with this and Picard was giving a little bit away and then it might inform the later scene that we'll get yeah. to. Which I, which I thought again, just really great writing. All right. So then data goes to back to his office, uh, his quarters and we see his cat for the first time. We see spot, although spot is not named. <laughs> Wasn't that so cute? Yeah. There's a good catty. <laughs> He's orange. <laughs> he really likes a uh, feline supplement 74. <laughs> <laughs> which is fancy feast for the 21st century. I love the way that Data thinks about it for a second, though. Yeah. He says, you know, he says, uh, feline, feline supplement 74, right? Like, that's not an automatic. <laughs> and it's like, oh, he's giving variety. <laughs> yeah, he's like, we haven't had 74 in a while. Yeah. Love it. Um, O'Brien comes in, apologizes for him having that outburst, and then... After Data tries to offer him a pillow and a drink and anything else, poor O'Brien, who's clearly outranked by Data here, just trying to be like, hey, no, I want to talk about my wife, my fiance here, <laughs> and asks uh, Data, because they introduced him and he's worked with Keiko longer, that uh, maybe maybe he can, uh, maybe Data can uh, get her to agreed to the wedding once again and data's position is is technically father of the bride that's his role in this uh little drama between the two of them yeah but also i, I if i'm not mistaken because wesley was eventually even made an officer i think the only character we spent any time with other than Guinan that is not an officer class is chief o'brien mm, correct so like any any time he's so far interacting with any of them except maybe a couple times with Jordy when they're pretty drunk and 10 forward he's so deferent it's interesting right while also being so uh memorable like you can be deferent and just mm -hmm. be like oh why wouldn't everybody he's got enough personality where it, no, it comes you know, through he's Irish yeah he's, he's Irish <laughs> Um, I also, I mean, this is probably a good time to note, uh, the writers wanted to do a marriage for a long time as well as a mm. day in the life, uh, episode. And they talked about doing it with Picard or some other, uh, but they were like, we can't do it with any of our regulars. Cause that would change 
so much of the dynamic yeah. of this show going forward. And then when someone proposed O'Brien, they loved Cole Meany and that he was able to deliver so much of what we just were talking about in these smaller scenes. They're like, ah, that's the perfect example. Well, Alan's that's v the was perfect also, person. Alan's V was offered up as the one that uh, O'Brien would marry. So that was a replacement for mm. Wesley. Oh. Um, but they settled on bringing in a brand new character, Keiko. I like it. Yeah, which is super cool. Um, and so he goes to the Arboretum to talk to Keiko, singing, of course, like, oh, because you had wanted to do this rationally, uh, you will have uh, the ability to think about this rationally. And then it's this great smash cut to her. What? What are you talking about? No, I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, don't make this woman get married. <laughs> like, she's very adamant about it, right? Like, Troy has talked to her. She's not, and it didn't work. Data comes multiple times. It doesn't work. Like, she's very, seems very certain. Uh, so I was not sure that this marriage was going to happen. And I'm not sure it was the right decision <laughs> that it did. <laughs> yeah, they lucked out. Right. Uh, because because Data approaches it so la logically, right? He's just like, oh, of course, this will be it. These are the errors that you've made in your judgment, right. which is never the right way to convince anyone <laughs> to uh, to not listen to their feelings. Exactly. <laughs> so she he goes to Troy. Uh, she's busy making some tea and tea uh, and bosoms. Dude, <laughs> no shit. Jesus Christ, that's a, that is just an 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 overhead shot of the cavernous. <laughs> bosoms that belong but, i thought i should mention it so that none of the three of you would have to mention that it happened i am here to state for you. the record that that happened <laughs> i said out loud holy boob shot like this was egregious oy, oy, oy. Oy, 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 would you oy. like uh, one lump or two with your tea <laughs> <laughs> Um, I like sugar. <laughs> They're very good in the coffee. Uh, but she said, gives the ex exact voice that you were saying, Kate, which is like, don't let them handle this. This is not your place. You're not going to make anything better by being the go-between here. You know, you kind of have to let them figure it out. Uh, which goes against everything Data stands for. But he, he does. <laughs> and uh, he's getting called away to Tapel's quarters, uh, which I, I just wanted to mention this because he does this shit. Great thing where I, I'm realizing now that the, a lot of the the calls that people get from their communicators are voiceover that are most likely not there at the time. And so he has to react to hearing the summons. And he goes this. Yeah, he looks in two different directions at once and then looks down to be like, all right, I'll do it. It was a bit weird, right, Kate? Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially when you think about it in the context of on the day of filming, for sure. I wanted to just note, too, that Data uh, drops the little nugget that he thinks he'll get married one day. Yes, that is yeah. nice. He's fully functional. Uh, well, fully. <laughs> he has a lot to offer, and, and Troy thinks he has a lot to offer. That's, I mean, my goodness. <laughs> he I can just the best vibrator ever. I was just about to say, I can imagine him in bed going, uh, marital status number 74. <laughs> <laughs> Some variety, perhaps. 
<laughs> uh, that was that was a really sweet nugget. I actually, uh, not to go too uh, melodramatic, but I actually did get pretty teared up when Data was saying like he wanted to have that 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 bond. Like it was it was this weird uh, slice of life that this episode shows, and it was it, yeah, it, it cut me. Aww. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Um, too bad he never gets married. <laughs> Tapel tries to get some uh, some information out of Data, Shady thinking shit. that she's got the code that will make him spill the beans. Of course, we don't know this as the audience members. We're thinking, uh, we're not. I don't. Know, I don't know. What did you all think when you were watching this scene for the first time? As Tapel asks him about uh, a Data about the complement of the Enterprise. I mean, nobody buys the "I was testing you." That's, I mean, I, even even Data doesn't quite buy that because his sub-processes has him doing triple takes on his way out. <laughs> so he knows. But yeah, it's it's fascinating that the, that a seasoned spy, they make the choice to have her do the whole, uh, I was just checking your security programs. Well done. Yes. There was a brief moment where I was reminded of uh, the conspiracy episodes where mm. where there is that like testing of of will and who and because of what you noted earlier, Greg, when yeah. he says, I wish that you would let me send an escort and she gives him the look. There was a world in, in until his voiceover where I was like, it's possible that she's testing like, OK, he heard something. How how much can we trust? Can we trust him? Um, but that's giving it a very you know generous reading. I believed it. I bought it. I was like, I thought that's what it was. I, I guess now in hindsight, that look is is her tell um, rather than uh, <laughs> you know thinking that it was the the captain would have to know or that you know that she was surprised by what what he was saying. I don't know. What did you think, Jimmy? Uh, I thought from the very beginning, I, I I didn't remember this episode, and I didn't know she was a spy. I thought the whole time, like, she's way more Vulcan-y than any Vulcan we've seen. Mm. Um, because, you know, there's the, the, the stereotype of the Vulcans of they have no feelings, but they do. They've just learned to control them. Uh, they very much have feelings. That Their society was almost destroyed because of how much they felt, and that's why they spent... Uh, millennia trying to bring it in so that it wouldn't destroy them again um mm -hmm. and so like when we see Sarek and, and spock of course there's always uh an appreciation of i'm dealing with another race um and she was just very closed off the whole time mm -hmm. so i was like what's going on with her um i didn't know that she was uh, um a spy i didn't remember that and i wasn't like oh there's something really suspicious there it's like why is this person being uber vulcan <laughs> uh i didn't get it i was like you're she's really going the distance to be i am a vulcan and i was totally distracted by the fish gill headgear that she was wearing <laughs> the yandu <laughs> the yandu headgear yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> i love this next scene we are in the holodeck with Dr. Crusher and Data learning how to dance. It's the reason why getting jiggy with it has been in my head all week long. That is a Star Trek acid party reference, of course, because <laughs> they cut together this scene with him learning how to dance to getting jiggy with it uh, beautifully well. And then, of course, Data blows up at the end of it because he can't stop. Uh, but 
what did you all think of this dialogue? I love the nugget that Jimmy, you told us that they had maybe improvised or at least written their own dialogue for this. And it feels like it. It feels like this is Spiner and McFadden, like being able to, to, to embody these characters after being living in them for, for, for three seasons. Uh, I, uh, I didn't like it. Um, I, <laughs> I, and not because they didn't do a good performance, but because it felt like an audition, not a deserved, earned uh, performance. Like it was like, oh, look, these two people can really dance. So we're going to show you that here are some of the other skills, Hollywood, in case you're looking for uh, some crooners and dancers. Like it just, uh, I, I didn't dig it. But then it earned it. Like it, it, the whole time I was like, oh, why are you tap dancing for a wedding? And then, of course, she didn't know what was a wedding, and there's a little bit of a joke there. Uh, so it kind of earned it back. But um, for the most part, it's like, and this is just a thing they do in TV shows, especially in the 80s and 90s. They wanted you to know what their actors could do outside of the, the little world that they were living in within that specific uh, TV world. Um, and this is just another example of them showcasing their actors' talents rather than this is something really that the doctor and data would do. I loved it. Yeah, I'm um, I, I get what Jimmy is saying 100%. And there is a little bit of a, a, an eye roll moment anytime, you know, it's like, hey, so and so can sing. Let's have a bar, you know, scene where everybody f- goes into song just so we can prove how good that person sings. But Gregory Hines, the doctor, he's going to do a little tap dance number right. for us right But now. I let that go and just was like, what is this? You know, can I enjoy this scene at face value? And watching them do what they love was just bringing me joy. Um, there is that lovely overhead camera shot where they very clearly. Um, take Brent out and put in somebody else. Um, but it was wonderful watching yeah. Gates get to just do what she does. Um, so uh, my principled self agrees with Jimmy, uh, but the basic bitch that I am thought that it was a great scene. <laughs> my my principled self disagrees with Jimmy, but I also do love like Kate. I think it's great. I... I think I, I've come down on this place recently, and it's that, uh, well, I was going to say just me, but really the four of us know so many people who professionally do so many different art forms, and that's their gig, that I sometimes forget that almost everyone who gets good at an art form never does it professionally, and it's super neat that sometimes a character acknowledges that like in the conversation when gene hackman plays the saxophone or you know there are various times where to define a character they show what their interests are and sometimes those interests are painting and sometimes those interests are singing or playing the harp or you know uh, watching harp porn Uh, (laughs) and it's it's just super I, I enjoy it when it's handled like this. And, and that's kind of why I brought up earlier that Gates McFadden had that neat moment where after she said she didn't want to be the dancing doctor again, Data left and she was thinking ahead to when she gets to dance in a couple hours. And she was so excited, you know, because she's, she's working for the weekend too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she loves to dance. 
one of my very favorite things uh, that I discovered when I moved to Seattle was the the Microsoft um, culture uh, layered many bad things about it, but that they have a theater troupe, they have an orchestra, mm-hmm. they have like dance clubs, you know, it's all of these incredibly successful you know, math and logic driven individuals who are like, I had this love before and I don't want to let it go and are still doing, you know, working their 20 hours a day or whatever it is. And they spend those extra four, you know, with their orchestra or doing their, doing their rehearsals. I just love that. Yeah, I find myself thinking of uh, rattle and hum the U2 the concert thing because Larry Mullen Jr. has this point where he loved Elvis's movies because he wasn't, you know, when Elvis was doing his thing, he wasn't just, you know, a, a, a worker. He was like a, a, a person who played guitar. Like he he all, he had these other things going on and, and, and Larry identified with that. And I think that's a little bit what, what I'm seeing here. It doesn't seem put upon to me as, as you're saying, Jimmy, like it was an audition. It felt earned as you were saying also that they would be doing it in this quite this way, as well as uh, the um, realization that it was for a dance, you know, it was dancing for a wedding, not just tap dancing. And it, it for me, really shows that one of the foremost things about Data that makes him so universally beloved is he says yes. Mm. Like, so That's why he would be he a good came and asked day. for a favor, but then he showed up and it was a different kind of thing. And like, he doesn't know the difference, but also like, yeah of course let's dance like this i I asked you to dance let's dance and it's so he he not only never asks for a favor so when he does you're going to but like whenever you ask him if he wants to do something the answer is yes and that's cool yeah i like to just point out the awkwardness at the end of this um after after crusher leaves and he gets a dance partner that is very clearly from Riker's program list. Um, <laughs> very clearly, like, Minuet's uh, sister. Uh, <laughs> awkward. That, yeah. smile that smile at the end is... Because it's it's meant... You know, it does it earlier, where he does that weird smile, and she doesn't really make fun of him that much for it. It's just kind of like, okay. And it's that beautiful call, internal callback within the scene as the button... I laughed out loud way. And then my daughter's like, what's the matter? What, what are you okay? I'm like, no, it's just, it's, it's Star Trek. It's really funny. And they're like, yeah, right. Sure. It is. I'm like, no, it was like a slow reveal button too. Like it was super well done. <laughs> it was really, really good. Very, very funny. Uh, all right. So then he goes up to the bridge, uh, because, uh, Lieutenant Juarez is having her baby. Uh, so that their dance lesson gets interrupted up in the bridge. We see Riker hamming it up with the tactical officer, as we mentioned. Ensign Kellogg is how she is named in the script. And he wonders if, hey, being funny might get you laid. (laughs) Uh, I can tell you for reals, uh, yes. The answer is yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say yes. In my experience so far, it is also true. Uh, And Data's learning that, so that's why he's kind of picking up on the uh, sarcasm and the irony. The fun ends, though, because Romulans show up. The Devoris is there. We realize that this has all been a clandestine meeting between Tapel and the Romulan delegation. We see Admiral Mendak, and he says, uh, no, 
uh, or you know, like beam on over. We'll do this. There's no protocol. I like that Tapel actually has a line that there's no protocols for this type of thing. So I'll just go over to your side. That's cool, right? And everyone kind of <laughs> just takes that as as granted in this. She refuses an escort once again, and that the transport should occur. It does not go well. O'Brien, through no fault of his own, loses the signal. The ambassador is now dead. Bum, bum, bum. On his wedding day. Working <laughs> on his wedding day. On his wedding day, he killed somebody. Can't they just make Brandy. a copy of her? Isn't that what they did with Picard? <laughs> <laughs> Just that easy. Her system is in the sig- signals in the computer. We start to figure out uh, about uh, that. There's a little bit of like a mystery here in this whole uh, ending part of this episode. Um, this is where some of the Trekno babble comes in, right? Something about the transporter, lost the signal, no interference, couldn't do an autopsy because there wasn't enough genetic material left, but there was enough to identify that it was genetic material of Tupel, but couldn't determine a cause of death. I think it might have been the transporter, though. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I thought O'Brien handled that really well because I have had mistakes in my own career that are nowhere near uh, making somebody die. And I've been okay. uh, really okay. nervous and like, you know, I'm sorry that your wedding cake is two hours late or like, you know, things that really don't mean anything. And I've felt terrible and had a hard time explaining it and he is just cool as a cucumber talking about <laughs> i tried to get her back and uh the signal's lost captain <laughs> yeah this is the one nobody liked right, <laughs> <I'm sorry>. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. we just we just did maintenance yes last week i don't, right. I don't know what to tell you. I, I mean i heard the captain say well no one rid me of this troublesome ambassador and i just i'm so, i'm sorry but she's gone all right so this is a win-win. I see this as an absolute win. Uh, Picard puts Data in charge of this investigation uh, so that he can try to figure it out. And this is where we get the callback to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes. And the whole mystery aspect uh, comes into the forefront. And we get the uh, amazing adage that is oft-repeated that once you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. I love that as he's delivering all of that, there's just a montage of things that they're trying. They're going to get to the answer. (laughs) Going to have a montage. He's just like (laughs) delivering all of this uh, text as there's just, you know, I was waiting for them to try on different outfits for the wedding. Like that was the only (laughs) thing that was missing. (laughs) O'Brien running in a snowfield with a saddle on his back. (laughs) Uh, but it gets solved pretty quickly here because by the end, we realize uh, that the DNA material that Crusher was looking at has some bits missing in it. Uh, and not, not uh, you know, small bits, but like, you know, the bits of data, like it has been replicated, like it is a copy, like it is a CD of a, of a you know, a vinyl recording. <laughs> not all of the samples are there, which means, oh, maybe it was replicated. And then that unravels everything that these remains are not of the ambassador. Dun, dun, dun. To the replication center. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get a teddy bear stack. <laughs> <laughs> you deserve it, Data, because you figured it out. Uh, so gives them all the information to Picard. They realize that they had made their mistake and perhaps there was another 
transporter signal that was happening at the same time. So they suppose that the uh, Romulans transported in this fake genetic material while they got out the ambassador and they go back and everyone realizes that, hey, maybe we should talk to Starfleet about this. And even Data's like, mm -mm, Picard ain't going to play that way. He's going right in. Red alert. Raise shields. <laughs> and uh, they find, I guess the warbird wasn't going super fast. So they, they catch up to it pretty quickly. They hail and explain everything and interrupts the accusation that they had faked it all. And that's when a cloaked warbird decloaks and is like, say that again, motherfucker. <laughs> I noted two things that happened during this scene. The first was that I realized that the Admiral had one of those little globes with the plasma electricity things in it that when you put your hands on it, the electricity goes towards your hands. And I got really excited because I think those were invented in the 90s. And there we go. <laughs> Um, and then I'm sure they had them earlier. Uh, but then there is a, a phrasing that he uses several times in this first accusation where he says, nobody is being held against their will on board where I'm like, that bitch is a traitor. Like before the reveal, yeah. I absolutely was like, motherfucker, because of the very <laughs> careful wording that he uses. Agreed. And it is... Uh, again, just a testament to the good writing of this episode that like once you go back and rewatch it with the knowledge that you have, it all matches up, which is rare. It doesn't always happen that right. way. Because uh, Romulan, he was very complimentary too before. Like, well done, Captain. Worthy of a Rom. Like, <laughs> he was trying to be uh, as accommodating to yeah. the Captain as he could be. And as we know, Romulans aren't that nice. No, they're douches. They're douches. So they wouldn't be giving a compliment like that. It was a fake compliment to begin yeah, with. Remans are much nicer. <laughs> uh, and that is also where we get the framing of the poker game. Uh, so he calls that back in this where Data is trying to be like in any poker game. I play lots of poker. I know all about the pokers. It's all about the moment of whether you think the bluff is real or not. And I would have loved to seen it just a little bit more if Brent Spiner wasn't directed to have to be like looking in the direction of where we needed him to be looking at for the scene. <laughs> he did a little bit of ping, like, you know, the tennis ball ping pong thing happening. I, I, that seemed dumb. But other than that, I thought this was, this was a really great framing. Yeah. I love, I love, uh, the, the climax of this where we get that Romulan, like, I don't want to, he says, I don't want to start a war today which was important to me again mm -hmm. just that use of words because they have them dead to rights right like there's all of these birds of prey on their way in they could take care of this now would anybody be the wiser yes but it just goes it, it's some foreshadowing of of you know maybe what they have in plan for the romulans in the future that i really like or as Riker puts it some days you get the bear some days the bear, the bear gets, gets you, you. <laughs> Shut up, Riker. <laughs> <laughs> Are you the bear in this episode because you got a beard now? Come on. Riker is a bear. Uh, he, he backs away. Picard does, in fact, say, you know, he is outmatched with two warbirds and three more coming in. And uh, they did the gamesmanship in order to get their spy back. We see the reveal of Sub Commander Salak, 
And I think even when it says, you're a spy, <laughs> they actually say it out loud. <laughs> Um, and I feel like Salak in this performance, she's a little bit like, hmm, hmm, played you. Yeah, just kidding. Did you get like a little bit of comeuppance she was trying to go for there? Jenny? Yeah, she seemed a little, uh, like sort of out of the closet. Like, oh, I haven't been able to show emotion for years. And now it's like bursting out with the, uh, in your face. But I, it just, like, there's nothing about the transition that wasn't believable. But as soon as, you know, oh, she's a spy, I was like, I wonder if there's ever been a spy at that level, like infiltrating somebody else and nobody knows, like, where did you come from? How come we've mm -hmm. never heard of uh, Tabelle before? Data goes to the Arboretum and Kaiko's like, okay, let's do this. Yeah, just kidding. Here's the thing I want you to wear on your lapel. Man, women, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> I think do her dirty in this episode a little bit. Like, and because it's the first time we've yeah. met her and, and it is like that sort of, I, I don't know. Because we don't know her, all we get to see is the craziness uh, of the like, oh man, bitches be changing their mind all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and they try to underline it too with like the cold feet trope. Like I feel like that was much more of a thing in, right. in, in writing in the 80s and 90s. You know, there's like, oh, that's just what happens at, at weddings. We always have a, you know, a plot in a sitcom. This is why this is such a sitcom-like episode. It does feel like a sitcom plot here. The wedding is beautiful, though. Awesome to see Picard do the exact same lines as Kirk, as Jimmy mentioned. Uh, it's brief, which is always great uh, for a wedding, in my opinion. <laughs> I think Worf would agree. <laughs> and uh, they Second best wedding of the year. <laughs> yeah. So, and he says there are still many human emotions that he doesn't understand. He doesn't fully comprehend. But the desire to be loved is something I do understand. Yeah, which makes, you know, a little, little tearful moment there. There's a baby. Also a tearful moment. I love babies. And being able to see an actual depiction of a baby, uh, and so often it's just like swaddled and you know it's a model. This was an actual, you know, really good robot animatronic baby. <laughs> 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 and I liked Picard's lines here where it's like, while we were doing all these grand things, here was this little miracle being, being born and brought to life. Uh, it is a little bit like what you would think of as 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 experiencing something like that, even as a captain. It, it seems to me like something Leo would take Josh aside and do. It was, mm. you know, a, a, something that you'd see in West Wing about every third episode with <laughs> one of the older characters taking one of the youngers. It was it was interesting. It was sweet. The night shift comes back. Night watch. Here they are. Uh, there's some more. Uh, updates about what's going on and data takes over for Worf. Uh, and we end this with once another voiceover more about being human and uh, how uh, telling commander Maddox that he will continue to learn, change and grow, which is all we do as humans. Uh, and it's, it's a beautiful ending moment. The lights dim again. The goddamn lights, lights dim. out kids. Yeah. Got to turn the dimmer down low. Alexa, turn off all the lights. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> the lights did in fact go down um and the ship the That's ship just two goes prop off. jokes in one podcast <laughs> seems like a good time to end it so what did you all think of this episode in its entirety eric i'm gonna start with you 
I give it 8.5 perfect weddings. I have spent the last, uh, say, five minutes since it, the wedding got brought up remembering how wonderful my own wedding was this year. And if I haven't thanked the immortal Kate Yeager for putting together such an amazing ceremony uh, on this podcast, I should have by now. But 8.5 perfect weddings. Um, I think Keiko and Miles is just such a fun interesting uh family uh that that gets expanded on throughout the the trek uh, universe and it's nice to kind of have such a, a lovely episode to introduce the two of them uh it's not the best <laughs> beginning to a, a couple but it is uh a completion of a of a character family that i really like well the completion of the beginning you know what i mean uh, I think data is clearly unbelievable all the way through. Anything that gives Brent Spiner a chance to show off a little bit is welcome in my book. And, uh, you know, all the triple wings they're doing, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, keep it up, tappers. Sweet. Kate. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it, uh, I'll also give it eight and a half. Um, orange kitties. Um, because, <laughs> uh, you know, it's one of those episodes that, could have not changed anything like in terms of the future but they do a lot of reference to the past as well as some future building here in an episode that that didn't necessarily have to have it um certainly we get to see more progress in uh data and how he is becoming human and we also um get to see more about the romulans and i just i i find this episode charming um, is it the best sort of storytelling in terms of, oh, that's so impactful. Uh, you have to watch this episode. I would say if you don't know much about Star Trek Next Generation, first of all, how have you gotten through four seasons of this podcast? God bless you. <laughs> uh, but second of all, this one wouldn't be the one to start with because, you know, what it relies upon is our knowledge of these characters and what we know of them. Uh, and again, I'm glad it happened in season four for that very reason. Love it. Jimmy, what do you think? Uh, I will give it eight Zondu's headcaps. <laughs> uh, it's uh, anything that is data centric is going to be good. Like maybe the lowest you could go on something like that is a six and a half, seven. Um, just because Brent Spiner is so good. Uh, uh, so eight for that. I loved seeing the lights dim not because it made sense but because we actually got to see how the ship functioned outside of um them just walking down corridors so i love seeing a group of people come out of the turbo lift onto uh the bridge together as a, a crew for that shift uh and then like my head just started going off in directions of do they meet always like do they wait for everybody to get on there like is there somebody who's always late uh like what's the conversation <laughs> as they come up you know is it small talk or do they carry on uh and then it's coming on and then uh you know hearing about all the stuff that happened in those eight hours if that's what that shift is um and how do they decide what to bring up what's not important enough to make the the cut uh, so I really love getting the, the little fillers there. Uh, and it was cool to have the, the little B plot that it never felt dangerous. Like the music throughout the episode let me know. It was like, oh, this is light. Nothing really big's going to happen. Um, and then, you know, 
somebody dies. You're like, oh shit, something big's happening. <laughs> and then you realize that it wasn't actually a real death. So they brought it all back around. So eight for me. Uh, loved it. And like Kate said, don't watch this until you've watched a bunch of other things. I'm going to give it nine and a half uh, prop jokes uh, that I <laughs> wanted to make and wasn't able to complete. So thank you uh, for all of that. I-, I agree with everything you've all said. I think it's fantastic writing. It made me laugh at least nine and a half times throughout the episode. Uh, and that is rare for a Star Trek. And I th- uh, appreciate it so much that they wanted to bring this type of day in the life type of thing to the storytelling. And I think it's a richer and more beautiful world because of it. Um, that's it. My daughter's yelling at me because I got to go take her to dance class. And my pants are wet from all of these props because they all spill directly into my lap. <laughs> Thank you all so much for being here. We'll see you again in... I will confirm that his uh, room is still dark. <laughs> it is still dark. All right. I love you all. Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Reengage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fourth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Reengage on Twitter at ReengageTNG to get updates when episodes are published and some other stuff. You can also follow our various Cultural Bridge crew on social media. Kit Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo 97 on Twitter. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now for the traveler to reengage.